welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you'll turn with me to John 6, 26, not that I turn to it because I actually put the scripture in my notes, so I don't have my actual Bible up here, but if you'll turn to John 6, 26, you'll be happy to know we're, we're only going to finish out John 6. I was planning on going all the way to John seven thirty eight, and then I just got into it and just said, there's just no way, uh, no way to go there, so... We'll be finishing out the rest of John 6 today, but uh, you'll remember last week, we were with Jesus on the lake, and it was a fascinating study about faith. It's one thing to believe that you can walk on water. It's actually another thing to, to get out of the boat and, and, and start walking on that water. These are two different things. One is really an intellectual belief, and the second is, is when you put steps to that, when you actually step out of that boat. And the Lord really shows us a a level of our faith. Usually it happens in the middle of a storm. And and for some reason our faith isn't tested on those bright sunny days when everything's just going great and and we're just loving life. Faith doesn't seem to be tested at that point. It's usually in the middle of the the dark storms of of our lives. And we pray, Lord, this could not be your will. I'm in the middle of this thing and I can't see you at all. This there's no way this could be your will. But sometimes it is. And one reason why we really go through some of these tough things in our lives is so the Lord can show us how far we've grown. Uh, the reactions that I have now were, or, you know, to different situations were born out of incorrect reactions early in life as the Lord matured me. And, you know, I do something and later on I think, oh, I hope I never do that again. I hope I never react that way. I hope I never say things that way. There's another way to do it, you know. And the Lord matures us. And, and the Lord shows that when we get to different situations and we handle things differently. So you remember what happened. Uh, Jesus had just fed a huge crowd of people. And, and, and you know, they loved it so much. Uh, you know, around 20,000 people. They wanted to make him king. And he, was, he just, he, it was not his time. So he just decided, I need to get out of here quickly. So it's almost like he, he shoves the guys in the boat and just kind of gets them on. And they're like, well, aren't you coming? He goes, no. And he just kind of shoves the boat out in the water. And he goes up to pray to, to, to seek his father. And toward the end of that, he looks out on the lake. And it's a huge storm. And the guys have been literally rowing for something like nine hours or something like that. So remember what happened? Jesus decides, well, I'm going to catch up to the guys. And he starts, you know, just starts out across the water. We don't know how he did it, but I mean, he's the creator of the world. He can create it. He can, you know, he can do these things. You know, they, they quite haven't figured out that he is the creator of the world yet. They're still in that, that stage of, okay, I think I know who he is. I think I believe and, and, and that word believe kind of has different stages to that. And they're sitting there going, well, I, you know, yeah, he, he is this, but, but putting steps to that faith is a little difficult. And then we find that, you know, they're kind of freaking out. They think he's a ghost out there. And then Peter calls out, Lord, if it, if it is you, call me and I'll walk on water. I will come. And this is really a dumb thing to say, I think. It's not logical whatsoever. 
He doesn't know who it is out on the water. He thinks it's Jesus. It could be, literally, it could be, you know, uh, there's that, the, the, the spiritual world that we don't see all the time. And, it, you know, it could even be Satan going, yeah, Peter, come on out, out in the water. And Peter's step of faith is not even a logical step. And neither is ours sometimes. Neither is yours. People will hear you cry out to the Lord in the middle of a situation, and they're sitting there going, are you nuts? Are you, are you that crazy to cry out to this, this God of yours that's invisible that we can't even see? But Peter would rather be out in the water with Christ than in the boat, still scared. This is the future of the church setting in that boat. These guys were the beginning of the future of the church. And they're just a scared bunch of guys right now. And Peter thinks, I'm going to take it to the next level. And this is the kind of follower that Jesus is really looking for. He's looking for those that want to get out of the boat first, to walk toward him. So Peter starts walking toward him, and then he starts freaking out because he's looking at the water. And, it, you know, he, he thought, you know, I could imagine him thinking, well, when I get out of the boat, it'll all be nice and still. But the water's kind of splashing on him. He starts freaking out, and he starts to sink. And Jesus is right there to pick him up. So they get back in the boat, everything calms down, and they just start worshiping him. So today we, we pick up a point where, where Jesus has got the disciples back on land. And there are people waiting for him. What's, what's fascinating is these guys get right out of the boat and they head up to Capernaum, or Capernaum, right up to the temple. And he begins to teach. And here's a couple of pictures. This is a 4th century temple built upon the 1st century slab. Uh, it has a you know, volcanic slab on there. But just to kind of give you an idea of, of what it would look like, they would have two stories. And, and, and you know, back in those times, they separated the men and the women. So the, the men would be down on the bottom sitting around on the steps. And the women, there was an upstairs. And the women would be upstairs. And you can kind of see the column up on the left over there where it kind of shows the big granite columns or the, the marble columns going up. But he starts to teach this group of people that are following his every step. And many of these same people saw him not get in the boat on the other side of the lake. And they're sitting around going, how did you get over, you know, that confusion? But he doesn't address it. He just goes on and he teaches. And in verse 26, he starts out, he says, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the, uh, the signs, but because you ate loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food, for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which is the son of, uh, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus knows their hearts. They're asking for more miracles. They're asking, can you do what happened over on the other side of the lake? That's why we got over here as fast as we could to, to see you. We don't know how you got over here, but you, I didn't see you in the boat, but can you give us more miracles? And he comes back to him and says, you guys just want big signs. That's all you want. You don't care about who I am. You just want physical food. You want more of that. Jesus knows where their hearts are. Jesus knows that they're looking for a free lunch. Yesterday was cool, but Jesus is saying, today, I'm not going to do that again for you. I wasn't starting a feeding program. Feeding programs are nice, but that's not what my job is. His point is, I am the bread of life. That's what he begins to teach here. They're looking for a free lunch, but he is the bread of life. And look at what they asked him. What shall we do? 
that we may work the works of God. It's really neat what you're doing. This morning I get up and I have this habit of watching the news every day and then I kind of got tired of the news and I flipped the channel and they had a deal on Houdini. And I was sitting there watching it for about five minutes and I thought, no, I really need to get out of bed and, and uh, get on with the day. Houdini did wonderful tricks. And he called them tricks. And the people wanted to know how they were done. This is how they're pe- treating Christ. Wonderful tricks. Can we do your works? Can, can we do the tricks the way you do tricks, the tricks of God? That's what they're asking. Jesus said to them, this is a work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. This is all I want you to do, guys. I don't want you to do anything else. Don't try to earn your, your, your way into a relationship with me. Don't be lighting candles. Don't be you know, paying money. Don't be crawling on your knees. You don't have to talk to somebody else in a, in a little booth to get to me. You don't have to go to a pastor to confess your sins. You Don't make me any promises. You will just break them anyway. Why? Because you're human. Don't do all that stuff. And he's not really rude about it either. He just says, here is what I want you to do. Believe in him who he sent. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, it's a lot of work just for you guys to believe. That's a lot of work. Now, the crowd is not happy at all with this answer. The crowd doesn't like this. They're into the doing thing. Give us something to do, Lord. You know, it really is work. It really is work to believe in the Lord. In fact, it's the hardest thing that you will ever do. We get in the middle of tough situations, and, and the last thing we want to do is believe that the Lord will, is in the middle of it, one, but two, will we'll get us through the situation. That's the last thing we think about usually. The last thing we do is, is t- to wait on the Lord, to believe that He is ready there. Lord, I, I, I'm restless. We try and we try and we try. And the hardest thing for us to do is just to believe. Just believe that I can walk on water. Just believe that I can feed you without loaves and fishes. The people were hungry for that sort of thing, and that's why they asked. Verse 30, it says, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do now? Our fathers ate man in the desert, as it is risen. He, it is, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Is this crowd fickle or what? Just yesterday they saw some incredible, amazing things, yet it's not enough for them. And this is the way it is with, with miracles. Have you ever seen a miracle? Have you ever been involved in a miracle? See, the interesting thing about miracles is they're great for a couple of days. We feel great for a few days. You would think that after somebody was healed. You would think after a marriage that was falling apart, the Lord just totally just starts to change those hearts and they come back together. You, you know, that for the rest of their life they would be together. You would say, okay, Lord, I saw your work. I saw you heal that person. I saw you heal that marriage. I saw you do a work in my child's life. I, I'm going to believe in you forever now. But the miracles are like a good dessert that we're going to have for our Thanksgiving meal today. They taste great. They're nice and they're sweet. But it fades kind of fast, so we go back for another piece. And the crowd wants another piece. And now Jesus is saying, just believe in me, guys. That is all. 
well, well, give us a sign. And Jesus really sees right through this. And, 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 this, you know, and this is the day he doesn't give them a sign. He goes on and, and watch how they respond to him. You, you might see yourself in the middle of the story. In verse 32, he goes on and says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus wants them to experience so much more in their lives. Now you have to remember that in John 4, we we talked about the, the Samaritan woman. And what did he say about water? Let me give you living water. And here he's talking about bread. The Samaritan woman really understood that, really got that. She went back to her, her, her town and drug all the people out and said, man, this guy's told me everything I've done. And all the men are all upset because they're going, oh boy. She runs and tells everybody, I have found the Messiah. Jesus says to these guys, I am the bread of life. Bread is a staple in life. He didn't say I'm a T-bone steak of life. He didn't say I'm a great casserole of life. He didn't say I'm the birthday cake of life. He didn't say I'm the 20th anniversary meal of life. He said I am the bread of life. Well, this was before the Atkins diet had been invented. Bread was something that you ate with every meal. In fact, the first century, they didn't really use silverware. They would take the bread and they kind of mush it up and almost make a little scoop out of it. And they would take a couple of bites with that until the scoop kind of just like mushed out. And then they would eat the bread. This is what Jesus is saying to you. I want you to scoop me into your life right now. I don't want idols you know, made of me that you bow down and, and pray in front of. That's the world stuff. I want a relationship with you that is like you consuming me. I want to bring you the living water. I want to bring you the bread of life. Do you know what Jesus is really saying here? I am the basic elements of life sustaining. Daily I want you to come to me and I'll meet your needs. Yet so many of them could not just believe. Verse 36, he goes on and says, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. Of all he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Anybody who comes looking for Jesus will find him. And the hardest thing for us is this. Once we find him, what do we do? This is really where choice comes into the picture of everyday life. Jesus is there when we come. But what are we going to do with it now? Jesus is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Are you? We call ourselves Christians when we start believing. 
Maybe that comes when we're, we're really young and we're a child, or maybe it comes when we're, we're older and we're going, you know, there, there's an eternal truth out there I don't know yet. Let me go seek that. But whatever it is, once we find Him, you know, there's one thing I am convinced of is this. Once we give our lives over to Jesus, I mean really give our lives over to Jesus, we're His forever. We're totally His. He will not lose us. He will not allow us to just falter away. But I also know from experience, there are many times in my life that I have to realign myself with, with Jesus, with God, with Christ. I have to realign my life going, okay, I've kind of gotten off track. Let me, you, you can call it rededication, you can call it whatever you want, but it's a realigning to what Jesus is. At different stages in my life, I have to decide, am I going to follow him on this? Am I going to follow his example? Am I going to do the will of my Father? Who is my Father? Well, because I believe in Jesus, the God, the creator of the universe, that is my Father. He lives in me. And we call that the Holy Spirit. And the reason it lives in me, because, you know, the reason why he lives in me is because I accepted his Son, which makes him my Father. Now, am I going to do the will of my Father? Well, what do you mean, Pastor Allen? You know, what's the Father's will for me? You know, when I accepted Jesus, I didn't get this nice little, you know, daily life planner and, you know, with everything written out, okay, at this age you're going to do this, at this age you're going to do that. Man, wouldn't that be so much easier? His will for our lives is to produce fruit. What's fruit and what's not fruit? Well, Galatians, Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that these practice, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, ironically, as I was writing this, I got a little late on my, my sermon this week as we were working on projects around here. So late last night I was working on this. And right as I was writing this, literally this passage, there's a party starting up at my neighbor's house. And several weeks ago, there was another group near our house that was partying. And about 4 a.m., as I had the windows cracked open, I heard, what is he doing? Oh, he's putting all the pictures on the web of us being drunk. That's the world. That's exactly what he's talking about. That is not the spirit. That's the flesh. I shut the windows because I didn't want to hear any more of that. Then I called the cops to get them to shut down the party. See, this is the world in all of its glory in the negative sense. And the Lord is opposite of that world. The will of the Father is for our lives is this. Verse 22 says, But for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, tampered down the flesh, made a conscious decision not to do what the world is, not to have the envy, the murder, the jealousies, the, you know, all those things. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, if we believe, let's put steps to that belief. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. But you see, the Jewish leaders, they didn't get this. In verse 41, it says the Jews had complained about him because he said, I am the bread from which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we actually know? How is it then, he says, I have come down from heaven? You didn't come from down from heaven. You came down from Nazareth. They didn't buy it. Verse 43, it says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the, uh, in the prophets. And they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now what Jesus is establishing here is this. He's establishing himself as the only way to understand who God is. And regardless of what, what religions of today that you know, tell you that there's all these different ways to get to God, well, as long as you believe, it's okay. That's what the world tells you. That's what religions of t- today tell you. And that is wrong. Jesus is clearly establishing himself as the only way to go to the Father. And he is also saying, I want to feed you more. I want to feed you more than what the fathers got in the wilderness. I want to feed you more than just the, the manna that came down from heaven as, as the Israelites were, were in the desert for 40 years. I want to provide more than just that. You know, my, my father provided them that. Not Moses, my father did. And I want to give you even more. They ate manna and they're dead. But I want to give you something that you can have forever, eternal life. Verse 46, it says, Now that anyone, not that anyone, has seen the Father except him, uh, he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Now, Jesus is really going to go into a section where it's kind of some unusual sayings and unusual stuff to say, uh, just kind of weird. And so far, many of the people have been tracking with him back then, and so far, many of us are tracking with him. However, he goes on to say, you know, guys, don't, don't murmur underneath your breath. Don't be talking about it. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And then he says in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? Totally misunderstanding him. Totally. Then Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. I can imagine even the disciples at this point thinking, what is he talking about? As the living Father sent me, and I, uh, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. And in verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. What a sad verse this is in the Bible. What a terrible verse this is. This crowd never came back. This is the fishes and loaves crowd. They saw, they saw the miracles. And they said, eh, that's kind of weird. And they walked away. Why did they leave him? It's because they couldn't understand him. And this is why so many people have left the church. They have seen the miracles, but they really were not taught in a way so they could understand what Jesus is trying to say and what the Father is trying to say through his word. They were not taught to study the word. They were taught traditions. They were taught the pastor will explain it to you all. If it just you have a question, go ask him. He'll explain it. You weren't taught to look through it. They were like the seeds that are thrown out and, and get choked off by the weeds because they didn't get into the good soil. Now, what is Jesus really saying here? Is he really saying, you know, come over here and chew on my arm? Absolutely not. Come over here and drink my blood? It'd make a great vampire movie, wouldn't it? No, he's not saying that at all. I mean, that's what it sounds like. But what he's saying here is you need to consume what I'm going to do for you. You need to take it all in. For God is a consuming fire, the Scriptures say. You will need to understand everything about me, why I came. You know, what am I doing for you in your life right at this moment? What I can do for your marriage, what I can do for your family, what I can do for your job, what I can do for your joyfulness, what I can do for everything in your life. But for this to happen, I need you to consume me. This is why he broke bread with the disciples. He was even saying then, I will be broken for you. And that breaking is what's going to help you survive. And many of them did not even track with this. And the fascinating thing is, he allows them to actually go. What's our normal human tendency if somebody wants to leave the group? Well, why are they leaving? We need to have a meeting. Well, why did so-and-so take off? And they go running and track them down and drag them back. I mean, if that's what I would have done. Wait, guys, you, you, you're misunderstanding me here. You know, was it the eat the flesh thing? I can change how I said that. No, really, I can't. I mean, let me reword the whole blood thing. Maybe you can understand if I explain it just a little different. It's amazing to me how we will chase people down when Jesus is not even doing that. He's allowing them to run. But oftentimes, for some, not all, it's, it's kind of like fishing. 
When I was in Canada, and I can't take a, you know, I have to take every opportunity to talk about Canada when I can fishing. But, you know, I caught the biggest fish I ever caught in my life this past fall while I was there. And this fish was huge. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not just saying that, oh, pat myself on the back. I mean, I didn't really do much. I just threw the hook out there and he grabbed the hook. We were actually pulling the hook in. I wasn't even fishing at that point. We were like, we were kind of floating out and then we'd go back and we'd float out. So we didn't have to drive the boat the whole time. And we're like, oh, let's go back in. I start reeling in and all of a sudden the fish just grabbed a hold of that line. Well, sometimes with fish, you got to let them run. You still got them on the hook. You're still going to get them in the boat. But you have to allow them to run sometimes. They'll get tired out, and eventually they'll come back. Eventually you can pull them back. He lets them go. He lets them run. But Jesus, you're going to lose them. He goes, no, I got them on a hook. Don't worry. Then he turns to his disciples in verse 67. He says, do you also want to go away? Do you, you want to leave me too? This, this is tough. Guys, I, I know you're struggling, and you know half of them had to be struggling with this. Half of the disciples had to be going, okay, I'm on his side, but I, I don't get it either. Do you get it? I don't know. You know you know they had to be thinking that. You want to go? Well, maybe no one will notice. Well, we can jump in with that crowd. And Jesus is going, you want to go? Come on, guys. Do you really want to go? Jesus is inviting them to stop following him. And Peter gives a great answer, and you have to love Peter for this, because we love to rag on Peter for all the, the, you know, some of the idiotic things that he does, because we laugh because really those are the things that we probably would have done too. But you've got to love this statement. He's going, Lord, Lord, no, no, Lord, Lord, give me a break. Where would I go? Really, really, come on, Lord. Where would we go? Ironically, He's in the temple area, I mean the synagogue area, and here's a picture of the synagogue. Ironically, this picture is taken where they believe Peter's house was. So we're standing over here on on one side, looking over at the synagogue on the other side of the street, in a sense, there's a whole bunch of little homes that would have been in between, but the synagogue's right there, and he's going, do you also want to leave? Your home's right there. Ironically, here's a picture of Peter's home. From the synagogue. Okay, now it's, it, they built this weird kind of spaceship thing looking over it to help protect it. But Peter's house, the reason why they know it's this is because um, he had a, a unique house. It was an eight-sided house. It's a really cool thing. We could go into the archaeological stuff later. But they built this weird-looking spaceship over it to protect it. But literally, he's going, do you want to go? Because your house is right there. He's saying, no, 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 Lord. Where would I go? I walked on water yesterday, Lord. What do you mean? Don't ask me if I want to go now. I totally don't understand quite what you're saying. Maybe I'll get it one of these days, you know, about the fish and, you know, totally about eating your flesh and and the whole blood thing. But I'm going to stick around and I'm going to figure it out. Peter's just, he's awesome. Well, except when he's not, but he's totally awesome here. He says... Verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe. And this is not head belief. This is heart belief. This is you get out of the boat belief. Where else would I go, Lord? And this is what the Lord does. He just spoils us with truth and grace And then sometimes he looks at us and goes, 
Are you thinking about leaving me? Do you really want to go? Okay, Lord. Yes, some are, some are leaving you. But I'm not, a proud, uh, you know, I'm not a part of that crowd. I'm staying right here. And, and by the way, can I work on water again? You can even imagine the feelings. He's sitting there going, no, 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 no. I've experienced this and I'm not going away from this feeling. Not going away from it at all. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word know here is the word epognosko. And it means an experiential knowing. We have come to experience you. We are experiencing God. You're Christ. You are the Son of God. Peter is on the right track here. And I would say many of you in this room are on the right track. Life may be crazy, but by figuring out how does Jesus fit into my crazy life? How does Jesus affect my my getting up in the morning? How does Jesus affect my going to work? How does Jesus affect even how I drive on the freeway? And I mean, have you, you well, you've been out there, you understand. How does Jesus affect how I deal with my boss? How does Jesus affect how I deal with my children when, oh, you just want to knock them upside the head, but you're sitting there going, okay, I don't want to teach my child that, you know? And, but by trying to figure out how Jesus fits into your life, it means you're on the right track. And we need to stay on that right track in our lives. We need to say to God, Lord, are you crazy? Where else would I go? Where else would I go? Are you ready to leave? That's what the Lord's asking you. If not, then get ready for a wild ride. If you implement Him into your life on a daily basis, He will take you places. He will make you walk on water. He will allow you to do things you never thought you could do. Staying on the right track is so important. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help us understand and be thankful that you're involved in our daily lives, that you're willing to involve yourself in our life, (laughs) in the little things that we almost think that doesn't even matter. Yeah, they're so important to our walk with you. I pray that you keep us on the right track. I pray that you bring good friends around us to steer us back to you when we start to get off, to ask us that question, do you really want to go that way? Do you really want to go right now? I pray, Lord, that you well up that spirit in us, that you allow that living water to just flow right out of us and just flood those that are around us. Flood them with your grace and your mercy. Flood them with your truth and your word. And flood them with your love, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving together, that you allow us to see the the great things that we can be thankful for in our lives. That as we enjoy this life, we know that there's so much more to come. We have eternity with you, and it's a concept that we can hardly even imagine. That you will raise us up when that day comes. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May his face never turn from you. May it never go from you. May you stay hooked to Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.